Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I just, I love being here. I love the opportunity to, uh, and the excuse to come and connect with, with you all. It always feels like a homecoming when I come here. And so I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, I do have to share that when Tim asked me to, to, to preach this Sunday, which was several weeks ago, I said, hey, where are you at in your series? I'd love to jump in and, you know, I don't need to teach anything new. I love the expository process and blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, you're in, we're in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. And I thought, oh, 2 Thessalonians, that's great. Maybe I get the, I'm a little more theologically minded, the, you know, is that where the abomination that causes desolation is? Or am I going to get to talk about some good end time stuff or something a little more theological? And I look at it and it's on prayer. And... And don't get me wrong, prayer is very theological. I just have a love-hate relationship with prayer. And I, I, have to, uh, and I have to confess, and we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end, I have, at this stage of my life, I have a little more of a hate relationship with prayer than love. And so it's really as if God knew that I needed to spend some time dwelling on this topic. And so... Um, so here we are. So as if anybody had the idea that I was speaking from on high, telling you, you need to stop talking about prayer and actually start doing it, I want you to know I'm sitting in the seats with you. But yes, we do need to stop talking about prayer and start doing it. Um, there are a lot of books on prayer. There are a lot of models of how to pray. Uh, anybody heard of Acts, the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication model of prayer. There's a model of prayer that says uh, you should speak and write your prayers so that you can engage more modes of learning. Some people say that you should have a prayer journal so that you can check off as God answers your prayers and you can look back and you can see God's faithfulness in answering those prayers. And all those are great. It's all good, right? But there's, there are a few things in Christianity that have so much agreement in terms of importance. I don't think you're going to find anybody who's going to say prayer is absolutely unimportant. Yet so little consensus on why we pray, how to pray, and the results of prayer. I read a book in seminary. It was uh, talked about a woman who starts every morning with the prayer, whatever, and ends every day with the prayer, oh well. And I thought to myself, you know, there, there is some good theology behind that, actually. But um, uh, but prayer is more than that. We talk about, in our own family, we would talk about Baptist prayers. And I don't know if you know what Baptist prayers are, but that's when you, right before dinner, decide to get into like God saving the world and healing your cat and it's 20 minutes later and the food's getting cold. That's a Baptist prayer in my family. And I was always encouraged to not pray Baptist prayers before dinner. Um, we uh, um, in seminary, learned different models of prayer. I, when I came to the church that I used to be at, First Baptist Church of Windsor, we learned a model of prayer that was a prayer wheel. There were 
basically 12 different areas around the wheel and you spent five minutes in each area praying for an hour. In seminary, we took a disciplines class and I had to spend, I want to say, two or three hours in prayer and that's a long time to spend in prayer for some of us, for some of us. There's a more very theo, a little more theologically minded pastor in Southern California who says the longest prayer in the Bible, if you read it out loud, is seven minutes. And the longest one in the New Testament is less than that. So prayer shouldn't be very long. And I don't love all of his theology, but that one, uh, there's a little part of me that goes, yeah, I can live with that. Um, you know, that, that, one I, that one I can cling to. Um, in short, though, there are a lot of ways to pray. And I think this passage helps us get to a place where we can start to understand what prayer is, and we can start to understand why we pray, and we can start to get a, a glimpse at some of the results of prayer and how we pray. And so I want to spend some time in that this morning. At the end of the day, prayer is simply talking with God. I don't think it's got to be a real complicated thing. I don't think we need a really, you know, rigorous theological dictionary. Prayer is just talking with God. And I would caution, prayer is not talking to God. It's certainly not talking at God. But it is talking with God. And I think that means there's a conversational aspect to it. This may be a little uncomfortable for some people. But the idea that God speaks to us in prayer, I think that's part of the conversation. And I think for some of us, that's why it's really hard to engage in prayer, is because we consider it to be a talking at God, or a talking to God instead of a talking with God. Um, when people talk about prayer, they typically fall into two, one of two extremes. First camp, God will give us all we ask for in faith. So if we ask in faith, we get it. God is this cosmic ATM. And if I just go with enough faith, God's got to give it to me. And there's some biblical support for this, right? Matthew 21, 22 says, Whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you'll, it'll be yours. But that creates some issues. What happens when I don't get what I ask for in faith? Didn't Jesus ask for things in faith, presumably, that didn't come to him? Specifically, he asked that a cup be removed from him, and it wasn't removed. Didn't Paul pray, presumably in faith, three times that a thorn in his flesh would be removed, and yet it wasn't? Second, that's one camp. Second camp, prayer is not so much about God giving us what we ask for. Prayer is about aligning our hearts with God's. And there's some biblical support for that. Matthew 6, 8 says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So maybe it's about us coming to God and coming to his side of things instead of us telling God 
our needs. Lamentations 3, 37 and 38, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. God's will is going to be done whether we pray or not. So that creates some issues, right? It's like, why bother? Why bother praying if God already knows what I'm going to say and if what he wants done is going to happen anyway? And yet God tells us to pray. And experientially, if we do it enough, we see really cool things happen when we pray. And it's hard to believe that our prayers don't have some, especially given that God tells us to do it, that our prayers don't have some role in those miraculous events. And I want to I present to you the possibility that both are a little wrong and both are a little right. That a proper understanding of prayer can come as we start to recognize that prayer maybe accomplishes both things. That it aligns our hearts with God's and that God uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes and his will. When I look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's aligning our heart with God's, right? Let things be on earth the way they are in heaven. Let us have an understanding of who we are relative to who you are. But then, give us this day our daily bread. This is about meeting our needs. This is about asking God to act on our behalf. Uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Meet our needs. Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, long introduction, sorry about that. Uh, it's, it's my 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5 follows this pattern, uh, least I believe. We're going to operate under that assumption for the next few minutes. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. An old thing about the way... Um, Jewish people write. In English, when we write paragraphs, we tend to put the, the most important point at the top. So the first sentence might be the, the topic of the paragraph or the main point of the paragraph. When, when Jewish people write, they oftentimes put the main point in the middle and then they work their way outward. And I want to I, I put before you, I think that's what's happening here. And the middle point of this passage is, but the Lord is faithful. And I think that that is, I think that's where some of us struggle when we struggle in our prayer lives. Is that in our hearts we struggle 
to believe that the Lord is faithful. Uh, and then it works outward from there. It says people are not all faithful. Some people are. Uh, verse 2 um, Paul asks that the Thessalonian church pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. It goes on to say uh, at the end of verse 3 and in verse 4, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And a lot of our prayer this side of eternity is rooted in the fact that God is faithful but not everybody is. Um, we experience bad things because not everyone has faith. When we're in tough situations, we don't have confidence that people will respond with grace and mercy. And so we pray. And then we pray for God's heart and God's action on our behalf. It says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, which is clearly, Lord, align my heart with yours. And verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Clearly the heart of the Lord. Um, and so the first, thing I want to, the first thing that I want to say as we look at this prayer is that God is faithful. Um, if you're one of those people, and I am one of those people, that has to fill in the little, you know, you have to get the, all the boxes filled in. Faithful is the first box, I believe. Um, faithful defined is simply steadfast in affection or allegiance. And we think of ourselves as being faithful or not being faithful to God, but at least in my life, I think a lot less about... Um, God being faithful to me and God being faithful um, to others. But God is faithful. And when we talk about the ways in which God's faithful, I want to highlight some of them. One, he's faithful to give, forgive all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, he's faithful to work all things for good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who love him who are called according to his purposes. He's faithful to call us children of God. 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He's faithful to give us a deposit on our inheritance of eternal life. As children, we have a, an inheritance, right? And we have a deposit on that inheritance today. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance so that we can have confidence that God is faithful because he's already given us a clear indication of what is to come. That we can have confidence in the fact that we are loved of God and we are his children 
because the Spirit dwells within us today as believers. Um, and he's faithful to extend his mercies and loving kindness without limit. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, the hesed. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Surely when the lamenter says, great is your faithfulness, even in the midst of tragedy, as his nation is being destroyed and his people crushed, he was overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God. God's faithful. And prayer is an act of worship. It's our response to God's revealing of himself. It's our response to the fact that God is faithful. He is the faithful one. He's faithful to be who he says he is, and he is faithful to act for his glory and our good. And he's good enough to want our good and great enough to bring it about. And so we pray. I want to take a little detour here because there are some common misconceptions about prayer that I want to address. There are things that as a pastor that I heard in my, what, 12 years of being a pastor, a lot. And the first one was that God's dealing with more important things in people than me. I'd hear things like, well, you know, God's dealing with, God's helping Billy Graham. God's helping the president. He doesn't need to hear about my problems too. And I want to, if you're one of those people, I just want to share with you that God knows the numbers of hairs on your head and he cares about the details of your life. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he, Christ, endured the cross. You, friends, are the joy set before him. I believe very sincerely that Jesus, on the cross, thought about me. I'm very very strong in my belief that Jesus on the cross thought about you and smiled because you were the joy set before him. I hope somebody needed to hear that today. And you may need to know that if you were the only person on earth, Christ would have come, he would have suffered, and he would have died for you. Not just Billy Graham, not just Charles Spurgeon, you and me. He cares about the details of your lives. Uh, there's an old Western John Wayne movie, and I can't remember which one it is, but he says, you know what? God carried the pilgrim's to Plymouth Rock, and we said, we'll take it from here. <laughs> and, you know, that's part of the American ethos, though. It really is. I mean, we laugh at it, but it really is kind of God got us this far, and by golly, I'm getting on. We're going from here. We're Americans. Uh, it's like God's your cosmic boss. I don't know if you've ever done those... Uh, those exams where those pre-employment exams where they say, how would you handle this situation? You have a conflict with a coworker and the answer is always don't come to your boss first, you know, 
Um, as, as a person who has had to manage people, I, I love those questions. And um, as an employee, I don't love them so much. But, um, but uh, God's not your cosmic boss. He wants you to come to him before you get yourself into real trouble. Psalm 34, 23 through 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. It doesn't say the really important steps. It doesn't say, hey, hit me up when you get in trouble and I'll bail you out. It says every step matters to the Lord. And if the step is established by him, you won't fall. Some of us think prayer is a monologue. I got to pray, and I'm guilty, I'm totally guilty of this. I have a little prayer list. I go through it every morning, close my phone, go on with my day. Don't listen for God to respond. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. If I don't give God an opportunity to instruct and teach and counsel, I'm missing out. It's one of the reasons, like I say, I think we struggle with prayer is because we look at it as a monologue, as if we're talking to somebody who's not there. And some of us look at prayer as an obligation instead of... Um, in Romans, uh, in Romans 5, instead of this grace in which we now stand, we fail to recognize that for centuries there was a veil that separated God from his people that has been torn. And rather than an obligation, it is our great privilege to pray. And when we look at it in, those, in light of that, maybe prayer gets a little easier. Application, how does this encourage you today? Does knowing God that simply loves you encourage you to persevere? Does knowing that God is faithful encourage you to do what's right but scary in some situation at work, with your family, with a stranger? Does it compel you to pray this morning? How does it give you hope for tomorrow? Does your position as a child of God, if you're a believer, securely established in eternity with Christ, give you hope beyond your current circumstances? I sure hope so. As we discussed before, I think prayer aligns our hearts with God's own heart. And Paul asked the Thessalonian church to pray for him. In verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And this is a prayer in reference to God's specific call on Paul's life. And we know what God's call on Paul's life was because he shares it with us. Romans 15 tells us, Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Spirit. He goes on to say, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. God's heart for Paul was that Paul would be an evangelist, spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul's 
asking the people to pray for him that that mission would be successful and that God would be in his mission. That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Um, That there would be success in promoting God's heart. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul likewise prays for the Thessalonian church. Verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is in reference to God's general call for the Thessalonian church. And you all know better than I do what the Thessalonian church has been going through because you've been hearing about it for several weeks now. It's a general call, but it's addressing their specific situation that they need perseverance through persecution and they need to increase in their hope in the future. It's a people in the midst of the persecution they're facing, the questions they had about their future that needed to cling to the heart of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. They needed to be reminded that God was faithful, loved them, and that Christ was with them in their suffering and that he wasn't going anywhere. I believe each of us, this may be a little detour again, uh, I believe each, each of us has a specific call in our lives. My wife and I were watching the Olympics. My wife asked me, I wonder what it would be like to be the best in the world at something. I told her, at least this is my theology, I think we're all the best in the world at something. Certainly as believers, there's something. There's some work, there's some situation that you can manage better than anyone else in the world. Because that work was made for you. We're given gifts to build up the body. We're given a local church and a community in which to use those gifts. And Ephesians 2 says that we are God's handiwork, given good works prepared in advance for us to do. If we recognize and live in light of God's faithfulness, I believe that we'll be the best people in the world at doing that work. And I think God reveals that calling and those works to us by talking to us. I think he reveals those things in prayer. He'll validate them in his word. Don't get me wrong. Um, Application. Where do you need to pray? What area of your life do you need to get in alignment with God? Is God calling you to something you don't want to do? Is he calling you to something you're afraid to do? Is he calling you to be something that you don't think you can be? And honestly, without God, you probably can't be that. But with God, God does pretty cool stuff. I believe God made you the best in the world at doing gold medal, the work that he has prepared for you to do. In prayer, God accomplishes his work through his people. Paul asked the Thessalonian church to pray for him that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. I can't tell you how many times I heard that it's somehow wrong to pray for yourself or it's wrong to ask people to pray for you. And Jesus prayed for himself. Paul prayed for himself. When the disciples asked Jesus, how do I pray? 
what he gave them as an answer included people praying for themselves. Um, in each case, they submitted their will to the Lord's will, but they weren't afraid to ask. I asked too. So at least we're all in it together if we all got it wrong. Um, God could accomplish a lot more if he didn't involve his people. When I, when Kyler, my son, was younger, I'd ask him to wash the car. And I'd take the time to show him how to wash the car. And then I'd say, wash the car. And I'd come and I'd say, and let me look at it when it's done. And I'd come out and look at it. And I would tell him all the things that he missed. And we'd have a little fight about it. And I'd say, fix it. And I'd go back in and he'd say, hey, I'm done. And I'd come back out and I'd share with him all of the things that he missed. And we'd have a little fight about it. And I'd go back in and I'd come back out. And I'd see all the things that he'd miss. And I'd grab a rag and I'd start hitting the car. <laughs> Sometimes you sit there, bad parent move. Sometimes you would sit there and you just go, it's just easier to do it myself. And think about how God feels. How much easier? Some of you know the story of Jonah. How much easier would it have been for God just to go to Nineveh and say, look, you people are messed up. Fix it. Let me help you. But no. He calls Jonah. Jonah gets on a boat and runs away. God has to create a storm. Has to identify Jonah as the cause. Has to have a fish come up and swallow him. Has to sustain him for three days in the fish. Has to compel the fish to spit Jonah out. Now, Jonah, go tell the people of Nineveh. Then he goes, and he, depending on where you land on this story, maybe doesn't share the whole story with the people of Nineveh. Then the people repent, which should be great news. And he gets all upset about it. And they're like, are you kidding me? This would have been so much easier if I'd just done it myself. But... God chooses to accomplish his work through his people. And we laugh at that story, but we're all Jonah. We're all Jonah. How many times has God called me to do something and I didn't do it, or I did it half-heartedly, or I did it, you know, wrongly? Um, but God wants us to participate with him in his work. Because that's how we learn about God. I've seen incredible things. I've seen miraculous things. I've seen things apart from God that could never have happened. And I got to participate with God in his work. And I got to learn about God in his faithfulness in ways that I write a book. Right? Um. 
And I got to feel like I had a hand in the outcome of those miraculous things. When I would go to people and I would pray for them and I would see miraculous healing, did I do the healing? No, of course not. But my, God used my prayer to accomplish an incredible work. When Moses stood before the Red Sea, and held up his staff, and the Red Sea parted. Did Moses part the Red Sea? No. But Moses participated with God in his work. Could God have done those things without Moses? Absolutely. But Moses got to learn about God, and Moses got to see firsthand the power of God working through him. And that's what God wants for us. But one of the ways he does that is through prayer. Prayer is how we participate, one of the ways in which we participate with God in his work. And I get a sense of satisfaction. And I get a sense that I got to be a small part of that answer when I pray for someone. We celebrate with others in God the successes of those prayers. And God reminds us in James that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or some of you may have memorized this, the power of a righteous person avails much, that it accomplishes something. And he gives the example of Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Is the purpose of that passage that Elijah stopped the rain? No. But it is to say that Elijah participated with God in his work. What would you like to see God do in your life for the life of others, for his glory and for your good? Another application, are you living your prayers? Are you praying for a better marriage? but not seeking counsel on how you need to change? Are you praying to be debt-free but buying a boat? <laughs> Are you praying to be pure but turning on the computer or looking on your phone at 3 a.m.? I want you to know prayer is hard, and I get that prayer is hard. Um, especially lately. I used to think I might have a gift of healing. That I'd seen so many people miraculously healed after my prayers. And I knew it wasn't me healing anybody, but I thought maybe, but I knew that my participating with God and his work was bringing about healing. And it was a real honor and a privilege for me to pray and see people miraculously healed. And then COVID hit. And I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd pray, and person after person after person would die anyway. I don't know if that's anybody else here. I get to the point, I just was tired of praying. I just didn't see the point. I didn't see anything change. Except for my heart. I participated with God in his work when people were miraculously healed on earth. 
And I had to come to a point where I saw myself as participating with God in his work with people who were miraculously healed in heaven. I was no more successful when people were healed on earth. And now I know a new way that God is faithful. At the core of our prayers, keeping us from discouragement, is the reality that God always says yes to his glory and our good. And it's hard to understand sometimes how unanswered prayers and tragedy around us can bring about God's glory and His good and our good. As we enter into prayer for others, coming alongside those in need, and as we seek God's will through prayer for ourselves and for others, we see two things happen. We see our hearts become like God's. And we see God using our prayers to accomplish his work. I remind you that God is faithful and desires that we pray knowing and growing in the knowledge of his faithfulness. And let's pray. God, we know that prayer is hard. And we know that prayer, sometimes we feel more distant from you than connected to you, God. Sometimes it feels more like a discipline or an obligation than it is a delight and the grace in which we now stand and the privilege that it is. Pray you would work in our hearts, God. Pray you would give us a passion to abide in, to speak to and to listen to you, to be in conversation with you in prayer, God. We pray that you would hear our prayers and that you would work through them. We pray you would hear our prayers and align our hearts with yours, that you would give us comfort and you would give us peace as we pray that you would give us a greater praise and understanding of you and the prayers where you say yes, and that you would give us a peace and an understanding in the times you say your glory and our good is different than what we prayed for. And God, we do pray these things in Jesus' name. And we are thankful for the privilege that we have to come before you and stand in your grace, God, and just talk to you. And we don't take those things for granted. In Jesus' name, amen.